Welcome to the Pitbull Patty Show. I'm your host, Patty Stuckler. We're keeping it real here with straight talk and sharing true stories that will inspire you to change your life. Are you ready for this? Because here we go. I am thrilled to introduce my very distinguished guest today. He is a renowned physician and author and known as America's Healer. He specializes in, are you ready for this? Nutritional, botanical, integrative, spiritual, functional, genetic, and holistic medicine. He is one of America's leading integrative medicine experts, a national speaker, consultant, and researcher. He's the author of the best-selling book, God's House Calls, Finding God Through Patience. That's available on Amazon.com. And his upcoming book is called Vital Strategies in Cancer. Welcome, Dr. Jim Roach. Thanks so much for the invitation. Happy to be on the show with you. Awesome. I am so excited to have you as a guest today. You just don't know. You are just a really fascinating person. And I just want to kind of give our listeners a little bit of background. Now, you're, you're from, you're in Midway, Kentucky, is that correct? Yes, Central Kentucky, horse country. All right. You have horses? I grew up on a horse farm, and actually, my father and brother bred a horse called Charismatic that ran in the Kentucky Derby, won that in 1999, won the Preakness, and broke its leg in the Melmont in the Triple Crown. So... Yeah, we have that history. That is fascinating. That is so cool. Wow. But you wanted to go into medicine instead, huh? Then uh, horse breeding. <laughs> yes, horses were my brother's thing and medicine was my thing. And, and not veterinary medicine. Correct. Yeah, my, my father was both a physician and a horseman. So um, the two of us kind of split that in half. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, it sounds like you came from a, a great family. I think I saw somewhere, you're, you're, are you a football fan? Is that right? A Kentucky University. It depends on how they're doing. I'm a, when they're playing well, I'm a fan. <laughs> it depends on the year. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, I went to University of Nebraska my first year of oh. of, um, of college. Yeah, I, I graduated from Maryland, but yeah. So go Cornhuskers. Yeah, <laughs> so, big football place. Yes, absolutely. Well, I know we don't have, I know that I could do five episodes easily with you. You are so knowledgeable on so many different things. So today I really want to focus on some of the information that is, is in your upcoming book and, and really as a, as it relates to hormones and things like that, that really I think our listeners can really get some use out of understanding in their daily life. And, and before I get into anything else, I really want to ask you to explain something that you you talked to my husband, John, and I about recently about beer and really the effects of beer and hormone levels. So if you could talk about that. Yeah. yeah. First of all, you know, I think 80% of us have too much estrogen and not enough testosterone, both men and women. And in fat cells, we convert testosterone to estrogen. But with men, you know, when they get off work, sometimes they're tempted to have a beer to relax when they get home and to get along with their spouse in the evening. And I prefer to use botanicals. So I tell my male patients, you know, if you want to, when you get home, drink a beer, raise your estrogen and block your testosterone, then drink a beer. Yeah. But if you instead want to boost your testosterone, and block your estrogen, take an ashwagandha pill because it 
again, boosts testosterone, lowers estrogen, and it's calming, relaxing for 12 hours, which is twice as long as a beer. If you drink a beer, you're going to wake up at 3 a.m. and you won't be able to get back to sleep from withdrawal from that alcohol. And what is that, again, that you just talked about? Well, it's, it's a pill? It's called Ash. It's a botanical. Ashwagandha, A-S-H-W-A-G-A-N-D-H-A. It's an Indian Ayurvedic herb. It's associated with longevity, has lots of general benefits, and I think it's an excellent one, particularly for men. But women who, you know, except for women with, say, polycystic ovarian issues, it can be useful for women as all as just as well to kind of boost testosterone and keep estrogen in check. So for anxious women who are not irritable, it is a consideration to take every 12 hours if you need to keep calm and relaxed. Wow, that is really, really super fascinating. So that actually will increase the testosterone level and decrease estrogen, and it's an estrogen blocker. Yes, that's correct. So I use that in some of my estrogen-related cancers. 90% of breast cancer, for example, does not have androgen receptors, in which case it would be safe to use ashwagandha, but there are some, so you need guidance before using it in that scenario. But say with ovarian and endometrial cancers, ashwagandha is usually a good choice. And is ashwagandha something that you can buy like in a herbal store or a Walmart or anything? Like that? <laughs> well, I wouldn't go to Walmart. With botanicals, you want to be careful. You know, in China, it's polluted. And when it rains, then those pollutants get in the soil and any plant growing in the soil will uh, be toxic. So you want to have a quality source from that. Uh, ideally, you'd want to get from a company that has had third-party testing of the product. Uh, integrative practitioners, functional medicine doctors usually have a, a recommended source for that. I use a company called Pure Encapsulations. Wow. Do you, so does a patient need to go to a physician to actually be able to get this, you know, to get that? Yeah, it's available from health food stores. The better companies generally go through practitioners, but but it is available and you probably can get moderate quality products from so uh, co-ops. But if you want the best quality, you, you'd really need to go get a prescription or, or... Yeah, it's not a prescription, but yes, get it through the integrative practitioner. Okay. Wow, that is just really super fascinating. In fact, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was polycystic ovaries because I've had some clients that were talking about it the other day. But before I forget, I do want to just to touch on that beer thing again. I mean, that, that when my husband heard about that, he was astounded. So, so I mean, for for you know, thirty five years of drinking beer to to be told, wow, that lowers your testosterone level and increases your estrogen. And I would I would imagine that you know when people talk about you know man boobs, kind of the moobs there, I. I think that would, is that part of kind of the effects of, of all that estrogen? Yeah. When you're speaking to men, you have to speak in terms of testosterone. That's the only thing that they hear. So I always <laughs> communicate in that fashion. So first of all, there's an immediate effect in terms of uh, lowering testosterone, but also you get a beer gut a beer belly, and in those fat cells, you convert testosterone to estrogen. So there's a sustained long-term effect in addition. So it gets you, you know, both short-term and long-term. Wow, that that is, and, and the libido and all those other things that would be affected by low testosterone as well. Yeah, absolutely. Testosterone gives courage, confidence, motivation, uh, reduces your waist size, is anti-inflammatory, and of course, helps uh, libido. Uh, so for all those reasons, we like 
to get testosterone levels up to normal. We don't let them high, but we need them to normal. So the higher your estrogen is, typically the lower the free testosterone is. Maybe not the total testosterone, but what's called the free testosterone. And that's what you always want to measure if you get it tested with blood. And would you recommend then to the average person if they think or or if the average person thinks, hey, I'm I'm feeling sluggish, I'm whatever, I don't feel that great, or I feel like I need to would you recommend that they get tested for these levels? Well, certainly you can get tested, but guess what? You can figure it out just from symptoms. Because estrogen dominance is associated with overstimulation. So a lot of your audience is going to recognize this. I'm going to go through this quickly. So anxiety, panic, obsessiveness, phobias, sleep disturbance, irritability, carbohydrate craving, swelling, breast soreness, tenderness, migraines are all associated with higher estrogen. And also autoimmune symptoms. Estrogen promotes autoimmune activity. So bloating, brain fog, aches and pains in joints and muscles associated with high estrogen. Of course, low libido tied in with that. Now, when you get to, into PCOS issues, that's where particularly the dihydrotestosterone is too high. Then you get kind of male pattern hair loss, hair growth in unwanted places, complexion issues, bossiness, and aggressiveness. So I like to boost testosterone, but keep estrogen and that dihydrotestosterone in check. And so I use a lot of nutrients to help with that. You know, vitamin D helps with that, zinc, turmeric, that orange spice and curry helps with that, and green tea as well. So balancing those hormones is key. Getting that estrogen down is key. Uh, you know, I can, individuals generally with high estrogen have an on switch, but not a good off switch. They tend to give and give and give, but not feel appreciated, have inner resentment. But there's also a gift with this because they're very intuitive individuals. So I walk in the room, they they read me immediately. They know whether I'm authentic or whether I'm uh, superficial in terms of what I'm saying. So that's kind of uh, the gift of a high estrogen. And, and then they have a spiritual antenna. You know, Most of them just don't have a faith in a higher power. They have a knowing associated with that. So it's very fascinating to deal with. So then that would make me assume then that women in general, just because of estrogen levels, would be seen as or typically more intuitive. Absolutely. Uh, is that correct? Yes. Almost a 10 to 1 ratio in terms of intuitions. So half of my serene, upbeat females have premonitions, intuitions, out-of-body experiences. They hear voices or have visions with positive messages associated with them. Half of my serene, upbeat people that you'd want as your next door neighbor or as your best friend. But they don't tell anyone. They don't tell their spouse They because their spouse may not believe them. They don't want to tell a psychiatrist. They'll be been, uh, put in a mental institution. You know, as Lily Tomlin said, you know, when people speak to God, they call it prayer. When God speaks to people, they call it schizophrenia. And now if you get a negative message to go out and harm someone, yes, it is schizophrenia. But if you get a positive, reinforcing, uh, reassuring, loving message, then then that's probably from God. Wow. That is just really super fascinating. I, I have a good friend of mine who had very, very high estrogen levels, and she experienced some of what, what you were just talking about, the, you know, some of these very strange, she was talking very strange about a lot of different things. And I, and, you know, I think people thought she, you know, lost her mind. You know, they did, they did discover that she had very high estrogen levels and have gotten those under control and, and she's fine. But I, I, who knew? I, I guess back to all those books from, you know, the 1800s when they used to write about women, that, you know, that would get, I forget how they used to describe them, but, you know, where they would get kind of crazy 
And, wow. you know, they would have terminology for them and they would just kind of neurotic, you know, put them in. Would maybe be the word, right? <laughs> yeah, neurotic. Neurosis <laughs> yeah. would be the term. But yes, Although that's I think we nice. use that, that today still. <laughs> yeah, right. But, for example, my naturopath has been out of body three times. You know, she's talking with a friend and then zoop, all of a sudden she's up in the corner of the room watching herself. And that's not uncommon. I've had dozens of individuals that have shared out-of-body experiences, particularly if, uh, with surgery and with childbirth. Those are the most common. Wow. So so are you saying it sounds like there's really kind of a double-edged sword to estrogen as far as the, that? that's a positive, you know, aspect of it? So the whole, well, our whole country is getting more anxious. They're getting more fearful, tied in with high estrogen and low testosterone. But at the same time, they're getting more intuitive and uh, to some degree connecting in spiritually more than they used to. Well, if on the negative side, as far as it sounds like on the positive side, then it's very much about spirituality and intuitiveness and being connected to, you know, almost on a higher power level. But but on the negative side, it sounds like it's a lot of health-related swelling and autoimmune problems and so forth. Yeah. And let me take that one step further. So there are individuals out there that have not had a peaceful day their whole life because they have a genetic mutation that's very common called COMT. And where they don't process neurotransmitters like adrenaline. So whenever adrenaline kicks in, it kicks in really hard. And that's they have impairment of detoxification, so they can't get rid of toxins and they can't get rid of estrogen as readily. So they go into fight or flight every day of their life. They haven't ever known peacefulness. And since they have higher estrogen levels, they develop sooner. That attracts negative energy in their life. And then if they have a traumatic experience tied in with that, that adrenaline kicks in so hard that they end up with post-traumatic stress issues. And that makes a big imprint and can impact them for the rest of their life. So it's crucial for these individuals to recognize that for their own health, they've got to offer forgiveness and completely get rid of all that baggage associated with that. Wow, that's that sounds actually depressing. But you get that gift of intuition associated with that. So the way I interpret it is God gifts you with intuition. And so some individuals, some of these intuitive individuals can stand next to someone and know they're going to die in two weeks or they'll stand next to them. They'll know that they're pregnant before they do. Or, But again, they sometimes connect in with their ancestors in one way or the other. Well, that is truly fascinating. I, I mean, I've, I've read lots of things on, you know, just the spiritual aspects of the world and kind of what, what you're talking about on an intuitive level. And, and really, I like learning about mediums and so forth, just, just out of curiosity for, for, you know, nothing else really. I, I did go to a medium actually, actually after my father died. I've, that was the only time I ever went, but, you know, she seemed to be actually knowledgeable and, said some things that really made a lot of sense, and I, I was careful to who I even chose to go to. Not that I'm going to make a habit of it because I haven't gone since, and that was you know six years ago. But but I, I can certainly understand that some people do are are really connected. But I had no idea that that there could really be a biological or hormonal aspect that could be contributing to that. Yeah. So, you know, E equals MC squared. So that's what Einstein taught. That means that when we look at each other, we see solid mass in reality, we're just energy fields. And the distance between electrons is vast. So we're 99.9% .9 hot air. 
So there's a chemical in our pineal gland, in our third eye, called DMT, I believe. And when DMT kicks in, then that allows the spiritual energy field, if you wish, to separate from the physical energy field, which is what's happening in near-death experiences. The doctors are doing CPR. And up above that spiritual energy field, which can see my patients before me, 360 degrees. I've had 51 patients now with spiritual near-death experiences. And of course, they hear voices in the next room. And then they come down just yesterday. Yesterday, I had an individual who he was having bypass surgery. He went through the tunnel, saw the light. He saw his mother, his father, and his brother who were all deceased. They were welcoming him in. They were leaning against an old car. He was a big fan of kind of antique cars. And then he went back because they shocked him. And then he went back through the tunnel. And then he came back again when they shocked him again and then stayed alive after that. But after you experience that, then you don't have any fear anymore. You don't worry about dying. You're not afraid of death. And the first time I heard that, I think, what do you mean you're not afraid of death? Everyone's afraid of death. But then I thought about it and I said, what if I didn't fear death anymore? And then I thought, what if I could convince my patients they didn't need to fear death? And now I had an alcoholic patient. He had a negative near-death experience. It shook him up. He stopped drinking immediately. For the next two years, he did everything he could to make amends. Then he had a blissful near-death experience. And so I think we're supposed to be on our spiritual pathway that is doing what we love to do that makes the world better. We're supposed to be giving love to the world. If we're doing that, even if we're the atheist, you know, the atheists have spiritual near-death experiences too. So it doesn't matter what religion you are. You don't necessarily have to religion. But yes, you have to be giving the world love. And you have to, you know, follow what you do best. And then I think you have some reassurance with that. Well, you know, it's interesting because you you mentioned that uh, pineal gland that's in, you know, in your skull or in your brain, I guess. I guess it's at the more of the nape of your neck, I guess, or a little higher than that. It's, something. Yeah, it's, that it's kind of between your eyebrows, uh, a little bit up above that, kind of the third eye. Oh, like your third eye. My son was talking about the other day, in fact, that that gland and that there's all these theories. And while I have you on here and can even ask you this question, it's it's so fascinating. He was talking about there's, you know, some conspiracy to kind of like have that gland blocked off, you know, either through, you know, treated water and things like that. Is there is there any any validity to that that you know of, of, you know, or even could surmise? You know what I mean? Because I'm sure that's all. Obviously, those are all theories. Well, I've, yeah, I've not heard methods for trying to do that. I have heard just anecdotally, for example, that cucumbers may block the pineal gland in this function. So I kind of stopped eating cucumbers after that. But some of these hallucinogenic mushrooms release that DMT, for example. I think the best example is in the Amazon, you know, the, the tribes that do this thunder vine. You, you get nauseous and you vomit, but then you connect in spiritually associated with that. And that DMT. DMT chemical is released at those times. So, and, and then shamans have utilized that. And so you don't want to use uh, psychogenic mushrooms or anything like that. But maybe if you go to a, a well-regarded shaman or go down to the Amazon, maybe you can have some spiritual experiences that direction that are very meaningful. And, and that would be particularly important for someone who has cancer, for example. You know, in the first visit with my new patients, I explained to them, I say, listen, if you're on your spiritual pathway, you know, if you're giving love to the world, then if I do everything wrong as a practitioner, if you do everything wrong as a patient, the downside is ultimate bliss. You know, that's what my near-death patients have taught me. So it's a real blessing to, to not have that concern if we're following our pathway. 
it's it's just a totally fascinating subject all the way around the whole the whole combination uh, that 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 integration really of the spiritual aspect of life and the world and the universe and then you know all the biology and and chemical makeup of a human being it's it's quite fascinating that you studied that connection you know so what would you i'm i'm my brain is racing from just all the different <laughs> all the different things I want to ask you. And one thing I just before I forget to ask you this, because I do want to ask you about the cancer aspect and, and what you're working on right now with your upcoming book. But you as far as just nutritionally, since you also that's such a big thing with what you, you know, can advise people on. What is, is there, you know, especially like people who have, you know, these polycystic ovaries and that that kind of thing that have they're tired and you know dealing with that what is the best thing for them or even middle-aged women premenopausal menopausal you know when you're talking about what's a healthy breakfast lunch and dinner look like if you can kind of shed some light and also really in particular carbohydrates because it that seems to be something that you hear a lot of so maybe you could shed some light on that so First of all, I tell my both my male and my female patients that whenever you want to increase estrogen, then eat sugar, eat processed foods, eat grains, eat white potatoes, eat too much fruit, high sugar fruit, and you'll get your wish. You'll get more estrogen, worse PMS. You'll get carbohydrate craving and put on weight around the middle. And then the males will get a high-pitched squeaky voice, right, and low libido. So I think nutrition is critical. And there's an excellent book out right now that I can recommend that is taking it one step step further. The book's called The Plant Paradox by Dr. Gundry, G-U-N-D-R-Y. So it talks about lectins. We know that gluten is a lectin, for example. And so it takes it even one step further. For example, you want to avoid cashews because of high lectin content. You want to eliminate peas and beans associated with the high lectins because the lectins uh, injure the intestinal tract, which we know is huge to, to protect and seal up that intestinal tract. We all have food sensitivity issues now. And then also, we want to eliminate all grains. And then chickens who eat grains, that eat wheat, that eat corn, you know, they now use Roundup on essentially all grains, even the non-GMO grains, they use Roundup as a desiccant. So you really want to get away from grains entirely. And so, but chickens are fed grains, right? So if you eat chicken that have been fed grains, you're going to end up with that same lectin, gluten content, plus you're going to end up with Roundup. So you're talking about when you say Roundup, you're talking about pesticides. Yeah, and- it's the, the one associated, it's the primary uh, genetically uh, modified uh, pesticide that's used. You know, they genetically alter the plant so it can withstand high uh, doses of, of Roundup. Roundup kills the bacteria in the soil, so the plants only have like one-fifth the magnesium and one-fifth the zinc that are normally present. And already, you know, half the population or more is deficient in those minerals, and those minerals balance hormones. So that's one reason we're getting more estrogenic as tied in with uh, genetically modified foods. So it's very important to avoid those foods. Yeah, it sounds like it, although it makes me wonder, well, what are you supposed to eat? (laughs) Right. So try to get pasteurized chickens. And so that's going to be a big industry in the future. Chickens that are raised, you know, 
in the wild where they can, you know, eat insects and other natural things and not be fed grains. So I think we're going to see that industry developing uh, in a big way because the demand is going to be very high for that. Of course, with uh, beef, you want to get grass-fed beef, but the iron in beef is somewhat of a concern. So I don't recommend much red meat, ideally once a month. So uh, things that you can consume on a daily basis, certainly get lots and lots of leafy green vegetables. You know, you can have a salad with breakfast. There's nothing wrong with that. We're in the habit of eating a certain way, but... Or you can do even a fasting for breakfast if you choose to. I do coconut oil or actually coconut butter as a snack between meals. Those mid-chain triglycerides feed the brain, which is good. And coconut oil is very antimicrobial. It's anti-yeast and anti-staph and strep. And it actually helps with weight management. It reduces weight typically while giving you some energy. You know, you can have some nuts, but avoid peanuts and avoid cashews. And almonds, about one-third of my patients are sensitive to that. But a few nuts as a snack is a reasonable thing through the day. Sometimes I, I will eat goat yogurt with breakfast, perhaps with a few organic blueberries as a consideration. But my main meal is really so like, uh, what? So could you share like what, what you ate today? What, what did you personally eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? So today I had goat yogurt with some blueberries. I snacked on some coconut butter through the day. I ate a few nuts, a few macadamia nuts. Actually, I had I have dark chocolate at four o'clock every afternoon. I eat about one ounce of 87% dark chocolate. And then for supper, I had uh, tonight, I had ground turkey and then some vegetables, some kale with that. And actually, Dr. Gundry recommends avoiding squash, but I grew some acorn squash. So I happened to eat that tonight, but normally don't recommend squash because the lectin content. But you can eat sweet potatoes and, of course, the cruciferous vegetables are wonderful. Onions and garlic are wonderful. Asparagus is particularly good. So those vegetables, you know, you'd want to put at the top of the list. So, I mean, that's like, <laughs> that is a big change, I think, for most people, not myself included, and I'd probably lose 20 pounds quickly if I started eating like and that. And I do, I would emphasize, you know, wild salmon, or I actually eat sardines, but I don't expect you to eat sardines, but wild salmon that says wild or Alaskan on the can. So ideally, that four to five times a week, and I'd limit poultry to maybe two to three times a week, ideally. So what about like fish? Like I love salmon and rockfish. So if it's wild or Alaskan, but you do not want farm-raised fish, why? What are they fed? They're often fed grains or they're fed animal parts in pellet form. And you are what you eat, even if you're a fish. So yeah, you need fish that are eating algae in the wild and not once. But really other Fish, other than wild salmon, sardines, they have too many toxins. There's a lot of mercury in the ocean, for example. The larger the fish, the more toxins. So particularly, you want to avoid uh, the large fish. So what about like, I love tuna fish. Is that something that because of the mercury? How, how often do you eat tuna fish? I love tuna fish. So you eat it every week? Thinks I'm crazy. I Oh, yeah. I, I had it for breakfast. Uh, not for breakfast. I had it for lunch yesterday. Okay. So, I, I eat it a so lot. Patty, I love it. you're mercury toxic. Oh, yes, my God. mercury toxic. <laughs> so tuna has a lot of mercury in it. And if you eat it more often than every two weeks, 
then you have too much mercury on board. Mercury is the second most potent neurotoxin known to exist. It's a xenoestrogen, so it acts like estrogen in your body. So I'd recommend you leave off the tuna from here. Now, the good news is that mercury from fish, the body's able to get rid of that faster. Mercury from uh, mercury amalgam, silver fillings, takes a lot longer for the body to get rid of those. Wow. That is just unbelievable. I mean, that is really, I think it is so far what you, what you're describing. I can tell you for, for myself personally and for gosh, everybody I know that is so far different. That diet, what you're describing and what you personally eat and what you're recommending is so, so polar opposite of what most people eat. And I'm sure I'm not telling you something you don't already know. So, I mean, how do you even start to try to anywhere near like you're describing. Well, the first thing is to recognize the symptoms associated with that, right? You know, if you want, if you like bloating, if you don't mind uh, flatulence, uh, if you don't mind brain fog or aches and pains, then sure, go ahead and eat the other way. But I think once that, once you make that connection, you know, anytime, to be honest, anytime you get flatulence, unless you're constipated, that means you've eaten some, something you're sensitive to. So you want to always think, uh-oh, what have I eaten? You know, whenever you get brain fog, when, whenever you ever get depressed or, or particularly anxious, you can think, what did I eat? But also, it depends on, you know, when women, what time of the month it is. With women, the week after menses, things are pretty cool that week. You know, your brain works well, and then things start to go downhill, particularly once you get into the 40s and early 50s, perhaps. And then, you know, maybe day 10 or 14, you start to get a little anxious, a little edgy, and then it gets worse. And then you start to get OCD, and then, and then men have to retreat into their man cave to protect themselves. <laughs> uh, you get irritability. You you, <laughs> yeah, start craving those carbohydrates. And uh, so, you know, there are things you can do for that. For example, a lot of women are familiar with progesterone cream. And yes, you can use for progesterone cream. I prefer to use an herb called Vitex or Chase Tree Berry for that. So I, I recommend to women, you know, whenever you start to get a little anxious or edgy, you can start the Vitex like 30 minutes before lunch and bedtime, and that might work for about a week. Then you may need to bump it up to two twice a day, and after a few days, maybe three twice a day. And then the day after your period's over, then you can stop it. Now, that works 80% of the time to neutralize all of those overstimulation symptoms. But 20% of the time, either progesterone or Vitex, they both work similarly, they can have a stimulating effect. You know, this is supposed to be calm and relaxing. So it's stimulating, throw it away because it's converting into other hormones and it's harmful to you. In that case, I use inositol, vitamin B8, I-N-O-S-I-T-O-L. And by the way, that's my PCOS top recommendation is inositol because it dampens estrogen a little bit. It dampens that dihydrotestosterone. So my PCOS patients love that. You know, you start with 1,000 milligrams every eight hours and build up to as much as 4,000 milligrams every eight hours. And it works well. So once again, and, you know, maybe the second week of your cycle, you might want to start inositol and then bump up the dose to the full dose a few days before you start and then stop it maybe 24 hours after. And, and that often works well when the Vitex doesn't. So those are some important strategies. Also, I do use uh, rhodiola. Now, 
I probably would not use it by itself. But if you have some Vitex or Inositol on board, then Rhodiolo, which is what we call an adaptogen herb. It gives energy focus. So that's great for the brain fog in the second half of the menstrual cycle. So that combination of, of Vitex or Inositol with Rhodiola rosea, and I typically start at maybe 250 milligrams the second week and bump it up to 500 milligrams the third week in the morning, and then again, stop it maybe 24 hours after menses starts. So that's a good uh, protocol, and women need that in, you know, in the 40s because that's when things start to fall apart. <laughs> yeah, and in fact, I'm, I got to ask you this, and I'm just only praying that for what answer I, I want to hear you say, yeah. but I got to ask you. Now, see, I love red wine. I like wine in general, but I particularly love red wine. What is what's what are you going to tell me terrible about red wine? <laughs> you may need to close your ears because, yes, red wine is estrogenic. One way to think about it is, you know, alcohol interferes with liver function. Liver is how estrogen gets metabolized and it travels down the bile duct and normally out of your body unless you're constipated and then you reabsorb the estrogen and it recycles and causes more issues. But yes, alcohol interferes with that process. Now, some individuals say, oh, but I drink Pinot Noir that has a lot of resveratrol, the anti-aging nutrient that's really wonderful for you. Well, research has been done and shows that the impact of alcohol is about 10,000 times greater than the impact of the resveratrol, the anti-aging nutrient. So I do not recommend that. Again, you're going to wake up at 3 a.m., your eyes are going to go boing, and it's going to take a long time to get back to sleep after you drink that wine. So <clears throat> would you say you can drink it, but on a limited basis? <laughs> Uh, that's what I'm thinking. I honestly don't encourage it, but if you do do drink it, I would drink, if you're female, just a half glass of wine, and I would drink the Pinot Noir version. Okay. Wow. I am just like, my head is ready to explode. I just, <laughs> it is just absolutely fascinating. The, the things that you are discussing are now like the vital strategies in cancer. Is any of this covered in your upcoming book or is your upcoming book specifically on some of these types of issues as it relates to cancer? Well, obviously hormones have a big impact in relation to cancer. High estrogen is problematic for lots of reasons. One, it's overstimulating and stressful. Uh, again, when you're high estrogen, you're kind of OCD, you cross the T's, you dot the I's, you're a great worker, but you don't have an off switch. And you have to be able to relax to allow your, to get in that peaceful, zen-like, parasympathetic mode for you to heal and for your immune system to strengthen. But again, some women have never experienced that their whole life. So, through uh, telling about near-death experiences, through teaching about nutrition, through getting on a good lifestyle program with a lot of physical activity, and then also through use of supplements like Anostal IP6, for example, which has anti-tumor properties associated with it. So all of that together helps get cancer patients in the peaceful healing mode. But estrogen also promotes what's called angiogenesis growth of blood vessels in tumors. And so we need to keep estrogen levels in check for those reasons. And you may not realize, but melanomas, 
lung cancer, even a certain type of esophageal cancer, a squamous cell version, most of the time those have estrogen receptors on them in addition. So, you know, obviously most breast cancer does and, and ovarian and cervical and so forth. So controlling estrogen is key and that's how vitamin D works. And that's, again, how zinc and turmeric work and green tea. So those are, are some of the nutrients that are really key to add in. There are many, many more though that are very important. It's so critical to quickly check in with an integrative or functional practitioner right at the moment you suspect a cancer because often the biggest mistakes are made right at the beginning. You know, before you get even the biopsy, ideally, and certainly before you get surgery, you want to take measures to drastically drastically reduce estrogen levels. For example, I had a postmenopausal woman who had a goose egg in one breast. And before I had that ablated, she actually had that frozen, I put her on a prescription estrogen blocker for three weeks. And by the time she got to the doctor to have that ablated, that had shrunk to one-tenth the size it had been. And it was much easier to remove. And with the estrogen levels low, you know, surgery actually can promote growth of distant metastasis. You know, it generates a wound, the message goes out to grow blood vessels in the wound, and, and any tumor cells get that same message, which is not a good thing. And also with chemotherapy and with radiation, you know, those can promote cancer stem cells. You know, those go after rapidly multiplying cells, but cancer stem cells kind of sit back and waiting, and they get that distress signal from the dying cells, and then they start, after the chemotherapy radiation, to multiply, and they break loose and can form metastasis. So in some situations, chemotherapy and radiation can promote metastasis. There are about 50 different nutrients. 50 that can help block those cancer stem cells. And so it's crucial to get on those. I have stories about stage four cancer patients like Annie Brandt, who was diagnosed with breast cancer with a brain metastasis back in 2001. You know, it talks about strategies she used to help recover. And now she has a cancer conference every year on her own. So wonderful stories as well. Wow, that is truly fascinating. Now, when will the the new book, your latest book regarding vital strategies in cancer, do you have a expected release date for that yet? I've just postponed the release date, so it, I'm anticipating it will come out in late winter. Basically, it's finished, but I'm working on strategies to make it even better and, and to get the word out as best I can. I will be speaking at the Academy for Integrative Health and Medicine, which is the largest integrative uh, practitioner conference in the country. 1,100 attend that. That's out in San Diego on October 23rd. I am available, by the way, for speaking engagements. I spoke in Newark, New Jersey this spring and Michigan and April and Los Angeles this summer. So I enjoy speaking on this topic, a very crucial topic. You know, you can certainly double the outcomes with cancer at least, and we're having better success all the time. Yeah, I, I can imagine this um, This book is going to be fa just fantastic, and I know you can pre-order it. So if you go, so tell us, I do want to ask one other question before, in fact, before I forget, before I can tell our listeners, you know, where they can find you and pre-order your book and also uh, buy your other book that talks about near-death experiences. Before I do that, I do want to ask, I like to always ask people kind of to share one of your own personal habits, daily habits that you do that really you feel contributes to your success? So I do something called the five rights, R-I-T-E-S. It's what the Tibetan monks do every morning. I read about this 
in The Ancient Secret of the Fountain of Youth is the book uh, where I first learned about this. It takes me about five to seven minutes to do each morning, about five exercises. And that's my anaerobic workout every day. And so I think you do a lot of flexion, extension of your neck, so that really promotes circulation and lymphatic drainage to your brain, for example. And when I started doing this, you know, I was experiencing vertigo. I had to sleep on, you know, my left side every night. And also, you know, whenever I looked up, I would get vertigo. After I started the five rights within a month, all my vertigo disappeared, which I'd had it for two or three years. So it's been a real blessing for me. Well, it's just absolutely fascinating. And and tell us where your your website, where we can find you, where the listeners can find you and order your book. Right. Uh, so the website is vitalstrategiesincancer.com, and you can pre-order the book through that website. Also, I put on a conference in Central Kentucky, November 16th to 18th, particularly for practitioners, but really is open to everyone. The website for that is drroach.net. That's D-R-R-O-A-C-H dot net. Also, you can follow me on Facebook if you like. I do an integrative uh, a spiritual story followed by an integrative tip about every two weeks. And currently those are cancer tips that I use. I'm here in Kentucky. You know, if you, if you have cancer and need some help, certainly I've treated, I've had individuals flying in from California, from Mexico and elsewhere to be treated. So you're welcome to come in and, and get ideas as well, whether it be cancer. I treat lots of different disorders, ALS, autism, generally other disorders that doctors can't fix. Um, I have a website uh, for the office, themidwaycenter.com. Well, thank you so much. I just want to tell you, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing so much great information for any of my listeners that are interested in near-death experiences and stories related to that and spirituality. Check out Dr. Roach's book called God's House Calls, Finding God Through Patience. That's available on Amazon and then currently. And then you can also pre-order if you are interested in anything cancer-related or holistically learning about how to better yourself regards to cancer. Check out his website, thevitalstrategiesincancer.com. And you can pre-order Vital Strategies in Cancer, his upcoming book. So thank you so much. I really appreciate all of your insights and your great information. You've been terrific, and I really do appreciate it. Well, Patty, again, I appreciate the invitation. I think it's great you're doing these podcasts. You're you're living your life vision right now. You're you know sending love out into the world, and that's going to lead to great things. Well, thank you so much. I hope to have you on again at some point because I know we could fill a, certainly a whole nother episode. And this wraps up this current episode of the Pitbull Patty Show. And I hope everybody remembers to take time to create your own master plan for your life and take charge. If you like what we're doing here, please take a second to like it, review it, and be sure to subscribe to the Pitbull Patty Show so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. 